We are next going to be joined by uh, Council Member Alika Ampri Samuel. She is the representative of the 41st District covering Bedford Stuyvesant, Ocean Hill, Brownsville, East Flatbush, and Crown Heights. And she is the chairwoman of the Committee on Public Housing. Councilwoman, welcome to Max and Murphy. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thanks Thank very much for, for joining us. So we want to jump right in. You're the chair of the Committee on Public Housing, which is, of course, uh, NYCHA, and the 400,000-plus regi- residents of the city's public housing authority. Where are you? We've had this, this deal announced between federal authorities and Mayor de Blasio and NYCHA um, about the future of NYCHA and a monitor, a federal monitor, and the city's going to continue with some investment. So we had a new interim chair named by the mayor. He's shifting the sanitation commissioner, Catherine Garcia, to now be the interim chair of NYCHA. So just where are you at? What what are your latest thoughts? How do you want to describe to listeners and to New Yorkers as chair of the Public Housing Committee sort of what you're thinking about right now about NYCHA? Everything you just rolled off. Lots lot. of moving parts. I think it would take everybody uh, 10 whiteboards to really just, you know, put a strategy in, in a matrix to everything that's happening every single day is something different. Um, but as a chair of public housing, and, um, you know, I'm not sure if you already noticed and the viewers know, I was also raised in public housing and I also worked at NYCHA um, before being elected to the city council. And, um, you know, at this point with the agreement that was um, signed on January 31st and the implementation of a federal monitor, right now with what we said, 400,000 plus, you know, there's been conversations it could be up to a million people living in public housing. They have been through so many changes and um, just so much turmoil for so many years. And at a point now with there's so much media attention, the spotlight is on NYCHA, the spotlight is on the city of New York, the state and the federal government. This is the perfect time for change. Um, the, the fact that there was a conversation originally about the sense of possible HUD receivership. Um, I spoke to a lot of residents who said, you know what, what would be the difference? Um, you know, we didn't have to explain what the difference would be with um, this particular federal administration um, taking over NYCHA, but with there now being a federal monitor in place, this is an opportunity to have an independent body, an independent voice, independent um, eyes and a lens and a vision to be able to sit down, have conversations with the residents, have conversations with um, the city of New York to say, okay, this is what you have in place, these are the action plans you have submitted, and somebody to take a real look at it, review it, go line by line and say, okay, you have not been able to do what you were supposed to do in the past, and so this is the way forward. And unfortunately, it took everything that took place to to really put um, a mechanism in place to to see change. Um, You know, but the federal monitor... We don't know who that's going to be right now. Um, there's been a lot of things floated. Um, who is this person? Where they've worked before? Um, what their own personal, what do they bring to the table? Do they care about public housing? Or is it just someone coming in um, that's just, you know, a business-minded person? Somebody coming in to, um, you know, change and reform management. Somebody coming in to change the operational structure. Or is it someone that's going to come in and just take a look at NYCHA 2.0? And decide. Okay, this is how we're going to get revenue, um, um, revenues for for um, development, or you know, to deal with the thirty-two. 32- 
billion dollar capital repair need. So, you know, there's just a lot in place. Um, and we can really, you know, dive into it and just pick apart what the agreement says. But I would like to highlight that a, a key piece of this is um, related to the requirement to engage with the residents because that's what's been missing for so long an actual dialogue with the residents about what's happening on the ground. Speaking of that, mm-hmm. Councilmember, what's happening on the ground? I'm curious. You know, the alarm over NYCHA has been building now for several years. And and it, as it has moved in stages, the city, the administration has responded with some reforms, with some new resources. And I'm curious, when you think about conditions at NYCHA today in terms of roofs and rats, in terms of heat and hot water, have you seen some improvement over the past year or two? Are we exactly where we were two years ago? Is it worse? Where do you think we are in terms of conditions versus the recent past? You know, that's it's it's difficult to answer that question. You know, for a short answer is we are in a different place, even from a year ago. You remember last year at this time, there was a report that some 320,000 um, residents were without heat and hot water for the heating season. That was last year. You know, this year those numbers are down. Um, they have, um, you know, new boilers and um, mobile boilers and a new system of being able to have emergency services rushing. And, and and make sure that the heat is um, all within a certain amount of hours. But at the same time, when we had our um, our most recent heat and hot water hearing, we're not talking about 300,000, but we were talking about 30,000. And so even though, you know, things are getting better and the um, response time is um, is shorter, um, we still have families without heat and hot water, and we still have families that are dealing with lead. We still have families that have significant mold in their homes. So, you know, it's difficult to answer that question because, you know, yeah, we are seeing better things, but tell that to the person that's suffering right now. You know, it's, it's hard for them to be able to receive that response or to receive that information because they're thinking, well, what about me? Absolutely. That's not the case in my home. And so um, the city of New York is, you know, they have been responsive and they are making strategic changes, but it's, um, you know, of course, I don't want to say a little too late, but we are at a time where the residents are just so upset. They've been disrespected for so long that it's going to take a lot of people, you know, billions of dollars to just to make this right. And um, again, going back to the agreement that's in place um, and what this requires um, and the fact that the government the governor said that he's ready to release the $450 million from the state is going to take all, all um, um, hands on deck to make this right. Right. And one of the criticisms of the agreement that the, that the mayor, uh, you know, celebrated with Secretary Carson of HUD um, that has been criticized is that there are no new federal dollars committed, although uh, Secretary Carson said at the press conference, you know, that the federal government continues to send millions of dollars to NYCHA. And so, uh, you know, that that sort of leads to a next question. You mentioned NYCHA 2.0. And for folks listening who don't know what that is, that's the, the sort of revamped NYCHA plan that the mayor put forward in December to accelerate efforts to bring in revenue to then use it towards fixing NYCHA apartments, which are estimated to be over $30 billion in disrepair and need of upgrades. So I guess the question to you, council member, is 
how on board are you with NYCHA 2.0 and especially the aspect of it that includes significant development on underutilized NYCHA land to, to create new housing, some of which will be affordable housing, and bring in revenue that is then funneled into repairs for existing NYCHA buildings? It's we're at a point now where, um, you know, sometimes you have to make very difficult decisions. I have never been um, one to think that I, I've never thought I would see the day where uh, we would see public housing um, um, moving away from Section Nine units to Section Eight with pri- public private partnerships and you know what residents um, say is privatization. Um, I, I, you know, I just didn't think that we would come to this point. Um, but we are at a time where there is that, that $32 billion capital repair need is a real number. It's a real need. Um, and we, the, the city of New York, the residents, we, we need to be able to bring money in, um, generate revenue that will address those actual capital repair needs. And so it's going to take, yes, it is going to take, um, where is the funding coming from now? And, you know, um, where are people putting money? And if the money is not going into traditional public housing and the money is going into Section 8 programs, then, um, you know, we well, then we need to make sure that we apply for as many RAD deals as we possibly can. And but we just need to make sure that the tenant protections are in place with the new lease agreements, with the new management structures. And when it comes to vacant land or what they you know deem underutilized space within NYCHA developments, the land is there. You know, we're building on every single piece of parcel of land we can think of. And so if there's opportunity to build um, in a space that is underutilized or, you know, the opportunity to, to develop, we need to do that. But we need to make sure that the, the funding that's generated from that deal goes directly to being able to um, repair every single apartment in that particular development. When we look at Holmes Towers right now, um, you know, that's, that's a deal that... Um, that's been in the news recently where only 50% of the um, revenue was going to be utilized in that particular development. And the residents were really, they were pissed off, rightfully so. What do you mean you're going to build this brand new, shiny, fancy market rate, half market, half affordable housing unit in my, de- you know, in the middle of my development on the park and we don't see the benefit of it? And so in 2.0, NYCHA 2.0, you see where they have shifted that mindset where it's not half of the revenue will go towards the development. It's 100 percent of it. And they will address every single, you know, the the bathrooms and the kitchens and the floors and, um, you know, some of the piping. They will address every single apartment. And so it's a necessary evil. Development is necessary. Um, we need to figure out ways to, to generate um, um, revenue. And there was a conversation also in the 2.0 about selling of air rights with the shorter buildings. We have to figure out a way to bring the money in, but we have to make sure that the residents who are already part of the fabric of that development benefit from all the deals. And it doesn't happen to them. It happens with them. And that's their apartments being um, addressed every single issue, as well as the residents being able to work, you know, having jobs 
on the sites as well. You know, for far too long, we've been seeing development taking place and folks are coming from outside of our community and working on the construction sites. So, you know, we have to address that as well. So, you know, I, again, you know, it's a, it's a difficult time. And as much as I want to say, you know, no, 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 you know, we, we need to think about parks and, and recreation and everything else. You know, we're living in a world where um, there is an affordable housing shortage and residents that do have apartments, they need, to, they need them to be repaired and fixed immediately. So we have to think about every, like just pull out a, a wide net and pull it, right? Cast a wide net, pull it and see what we can bring in. Council member, I'm curious, the news today that uh, Mayor de Blasio had appointed as interim chairperson of NYCHA, Catherine Garcia, who up to that moment had been the Department of Sanitation Commissioner. Um, what do you think of that move? Is that something you were alerted to or consulted on? And is she the kind of person we'd want as a permanent leader? Or what are we looking for in a permanent leader for the authority, which is, I should mention, something that HUD and the U.S. Attorney will get to weigh in on under the uh, terms of that of that agreement? Why did you ask me that today? <laughs> Goodness. There's no good days for some of these questions. <laughs> oh, boy. So, um, no, I was not consulted. Why would they consult the, um, you know, chair of public housing? And why would they consult someone who has 27 developments in their district? You know, why? Right. That doesn't make sense to this administration. Um, so I, I was not consulted. I found out um, last night. I found out after the news reports, um, which is unfortunate. And is part of a pattern for this administration, as you're sort of getting at. Go ahead. (laughs) And, you know, because at the end of the day, I'm the voice of the people, right? And so I guess they don't consider the people um, partners necessarily. Um, But I've met um, Commissioner Garcia in the past, and I think she's a lovely woman. And I know that, you know, she's, you know, I've been told in her background, she um, at one point worked with a monitor um, when she was working with DEP and you know they've um, you know tried to explain why this made sense um, but for some reason I can't figure out why it's it's someone that has no housing background or you know just um, no real um, experience in, in, in to that level um, and and also we just came off of a hearing with sanitation a couple of months ago with the first um, real snowstorm and there was a, a you know they, a lot of people said that it was a debacle you know um, the snow plows weren't out in the street and you had um, I know it took me three hours to get home from lower Manhattan um, that day and so there was she apologized and said that you know they would do things different and so it's again we're going through this whole process of trans, you know, someone who's coming in. Again, she's an amazing woman, a, a, a great career. She's, you know, rose through the ranks in um, sanitation in the city of New York. Um, but we can't play musical chairs um, in this type of situation. So, and so, so if you're um, if you're if you're talking to uh, interim chair Garcia now, uh, Commissioner Garcia, what would you suggest to be the first couple of things that she does now in this new role? I mean, what does she, in your view, need to do and I guess uh, as a second part of the question, how soon would you expect to be calling her into an oversight hearing as you hold uh, in the city council? Mm-hmm. So um, I'm told that I'll receive a call from her, um, pro- you know, possibly today, um, so that we can just touch base um, and have that that official um, formal um, conversation. And 
we are looking to do a oversight hearing um, to discuss the actual agreement. So that would be, um, you know, with the interim chair, the administration, and hopefully someone from HUD to just talk about what, you know, what what is in place. Um, I mean, well, the federal monitor and, um, you know, have a conversation hopefully about the action plans, um, their, their targeting, their goals. Um, but the first thing I would want the commissioner to do, well, the new chair, is to have a conversation with the residents. And I would really want her to put in place a chief resident officer or a um, senior resident advisor, someone that would advise her who lives in NYCHA, who's a professional, who can be at the um, policy table, who can be at senior staff meetings on the 12th floor in the executive suite, um, talking to her, being a voice of reason to this administration, as well as, you know, being able to communicate what's really happening on the ground. That's been missing. That position does not exist, never existed, um, and, but is very necessary. Um, and so I would I would want her to be able to, from the beginning, you know, see the need for having the resident at the table um, and, um, and meet with the residents right away. The previous chair, well, the outgoing chair, Stan, um, did not meet with the, with the, um, the residents. He said there was no need to. He was interim. And so um, the residents were very upset about that. And that's a position that has been taken for a very long time. Um, I, you know, I can't say it over and over. I, I can't say it enough. Um, the residents should be at the table. It's part of the HUD regulations. It's part of the CFR 964. You're supposed to be engaging with the people that live in the public housing units. And that's not happening at all. Councilwoman, we have time for one more question, about two minutes left. And I, I guess this goes both to your committee work and also your background as a, as a lawyer. You know, the, the agreement that the mayor and Secretary Carson inked last week is it, obviously you mentioned is kind of uncharted territory. We don't know who the monitor will be. There are a lot of unknowns. But in that language, I wonder if you have uh, scanned it. And, you know, in terms of the power that the monitor will have, will, will they have the ability to throw out union contracts affecting NYCHA workers? Will they have the ability to bypass city laws? I've, I've seen some language there that to my very non-lawyerly eyes looks like it does that, but I'm curious, what do you think the scope of the monitor's powers will be? Well, um, so the, to answer the first question just about the unions, right, and the workers, I think that was a, a serious fear if there was, if there would have been a HUD receivership, you know, HUD actually taken, um, you know, taken over, then that was, that was a big fear. But with a monitor in place, the way you see the, the powers, just reading through the general powers section, it talks about full access and full authority without permission. But that's pretty much having access to the information. And they can go in and fire and higher, but they, but at no point do I see this having, um, being strong enough for having the teeth to be able to, to um, change the mechanism of union labor. That's still um, in place, and so this is pretty much just about the positions that are held, and, 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 and specifically speaking to the, um, the, the chair and, you know, at the executive level, but once it comes down to the actual operations and the day-to-day, -day, remember the, the agreement speaks directly to they will not be involved in the day-to-day -day operations. And so when you're looking at the un the unions and the labor force, that's that's day-to-day -day operations. So they'll have full access and authority across the board with being able to get the information, be able to look into the systems and, you know, don't have to ask a bunch of questions. But um, I, the way this agreement is, it's it, it, 
I don't see it as a threat at all on the union labor. Right. And as you said, Secretary Carson said at the press conference with the mayor that he hopes the monitor will really be more of just a monitor and not really getting too involved in those in those management issues. And just as we say goodbye to you, council member, do you have an estimate on when that oversight hearing would be on this deal? Do you have any sense of which week we could be talking about in the next few? Um, well, I'm not sure yet. Um, they seem to be moving. They made in the city and HUD full speed ahead with, um, you know, the, they named the interim chair. They're about to name the monitor. And so we've deferred our hearing this week so that we can um, have a next hearing in a couple of weeks related to the agreement. Got it. So we're hoping in the next few weeks. All right. Well, we will hope to talk with you again. City Council Member Alika Ampri Samuel, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so All right, much. Take Enjoy care. the rest of your day. You too. Thank you. back on Max and Murphy for some concluding thoughts today. Uh, ben, we've spoken with Senator Alessandra Biaggi about progress so far in Albany, and we just talked to Alikra Ampri-Samuel, the chairperson of the Council's Public Housing Committee, about the many changes and challenges facing that authority. Uh, and obviously, as you mentioned at the top tonight, uh, in mere minutes or an hour <laughs> or so, I guess, we'll have the first full official debate for uh, the Office of Public Advocate. So let's do a couple quick thoughts on all three of those topics. Back to, I'll go on Senator Biagi. You go on on Councilmember Samuel, since your NYCHA expertise as far exceeds mine. I, I think that you know a couple interesting things that Senator Biagi said include where she's headed with this ethics committee that has uh, you know been non-existent, as she said, over the last several years. What kind of hearings be beside this joint hearing that's coming up on sexual harassment in both the public and private sectors, which is going to be a watershed moment in New York, period, not just New York government, but in New York when that happens on February 13th. And we'll have a chance perhaps to discuss some of that on the air next week. But um, beyond that, where is she heading in terms of ethics and government? When you chair a committee like that, you have to be ready to look into your colleagues. You have to be ready to look into both elected and non-elected officials and take on some really tough fights. Now, we know when she took on Jeff Klein, she was not afraid of a tough fight. So we'll see where she goes with that. And I'm very interested to see what those pieces of legislation are that they're going to have hearings on in her committee and how they're going to react to some of the proposals the governor has put forward that that relate to the legislature. For example, something like extending the freedom of information law to the legislature. So those are a couple of my thoughts on her. And I think what ties into that is that ethics reform is cheap uh, in the sense of it not being costly to the budget as some of the other you know progressive goals might be. I thought her answer on the question about declining state revenues in light apparently of the federal tax law changes, $2.3 billion less than we projected, you know, not jumping quickly to uh, an austerity program I think is totally defensible and, and, and imaginative. 
move. But I wonder for her and others how just how serious that change will be, how much that will shrink the parameters of of what the government can do, especially in terms of more ambitious items, which, you know, I think everyone knows we're always going to be a stretch anyway, like uh, single payer health care and some of the other, you know, um, more ambitious, more costly ideas people have talked about. And even Biagi, who is further on the left than most of her colleagues said, you know, I think at this point we very responsibly are sort of putting the New York Health Act on hold. I don't know if that trickles down to the sponsors of that bill, though when Senator Rivera was on with us, he, he indicated the same thing. This is not on a fast timeline and there's going to be tweaks to the bill, uh, et cetera. So I did think her answer, as I asked her in a follow-up, was interesting. She mostly talked about how do we bring in more revenue to make up for the shortfall. And, you know, she kept referring to congestion pricing, but that's just not going to do it. I mean, congestion pricing is supposed to be going towards the MTA, not the state budget. And those are those are different. So, totally. um, you know, we'll see where that heads. NYCHA. NYCHA, yes. Member, a lot of realism there, you know, especially of some some careful, careful parsing uh, I was language surprised. on the question of development on NYCHA campuses and about conversion of units to Section 8 under the PACT and RAD programs. Two ideas that have been bouncing around for years have raised a lot of concerns, some of it uh, a little bit um, hyperbolic, um, some totally legitimate. Uh, and I think her answer that she wants to proceed carefully, but they have to consider these options was was interesting and I think indicative of where we are. Uh, I also think that her talking about the monitor deal as a welcome step reflects a different kind of reality. You know, I think on NYCHA, sometimes we get hung up or I get hung up on talking about what's what's fair given what happened in the past versus what's realistic looking ahead. It is unfair that the system that the city runs at NYCHA has been as starved of federal dollars as it has been. And I think that has contributed to, but not is not exclusively responsible for the management problems. The monitor is about the management problems. It's about making the city step up and spend more money on NYCHA. That does not reflect historical commitments that have been made, but it probably does reflect what is a realistic path forward for the city, given what the federal politics around public housing are. So a lot of realism in that interview from uh, from Ampy Samuel. I, I think that's very well said. I was really, like I said, surprised at some of her answers. And again, she wasn't gung-ho about some of these things, but she was being very realistic and pragmatic. And, you know, I think the, uh, as far as I'm concerned, yes, this monitor will be very interesting to watch how that all plays out. Catherine Garcia as the interim chair and then where the the next chairperson goes, you know, will be will be interesting to watch. But for me, I would say the most interesting thing that I'm watching is where this NYCHA 2.0 plan, especially the infill development that we asked her about, where that's headed. What are those hearings going to look like that she may be chairing? What are the community hearings on these plans going to look like? How much pushback is there going to be from residents? And, you know, where will the city then make compromises, back off? You know, this is not that different than a lot of different, you know, a lot of varied policies that include a siting of a facility facility or a new project or something that, you know, the city wants to put somewhere and you have to engage with the community and then there may very well be pushback. We may be in a situation here, though, where more and more people are realizing there's just no other answer, perhaps. And, you know, we'll see what that discussion looks like, but that'll be fascinating to me. So we're coming to the end of another edition of Max and Murphy. We're on every Wednesday at 5 p.m. right here at 99.5. Your homework, listeners, is to go to GothamGazette.com and read Ben's excellent article about things to watch in tonight's public advocate debate. You have an hour to read that. You should be able to get through there and maybe even make some notes, send Ben an angry 
email or two. And citylimits.org for your public advocate voters guide. Until next week, I'm Jarrett Murphy from City Limits. And this is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. Thanks for listening here on WBAI. Mm-hmm.